I think what we need to do is explain how our principles of free speech, free inquiry, will help serve the cause of justice. The First Amendment, the constitutional freedom of speech and freedom of conscience that is the bulwark of our democracy. There was a passion in what was being said, affirming this, this what people consider a sacred constitutional right, freedom of speech and freedom of association. From the UC National Center for Free Speech and Civic Engagement, this is Speech Matters, a podcast about expression, engagement, and democratic learning in higher education. I'm Michelle Deutschman, the center's executive director and your host. It's the beginning of a presidential election year, which means Americans across the country are being exposed to politics constantly as they begin voting in primaries and caucuses to select each party's presidential and down-ballot candidates. But while public attention is following candidates on the campaign trail, some practitioners like our guest today, Jen Domigal-Goldman, Executive Director of the All-In Campus Democracy Challenge at Civic Nation, and Alex Edgar, a student civic leader at UC Berkeley, are focused on one particularly important group, the youth vote. Young voters consistently vote at the lowest rates of any group, and the statistics are particularly bad when you look at college-age voters. With new legislation popping up daily, making it more difficult for college students to vote by restricting their ID usage, moving polling locations, and otherwise attacking their access to the ballot, it is more important than ever to elevate the stories and struggles of those working to encourage students to head to the polls. But before we talk with Jen and Alex, let's turn to class notes, a look at what's making headlines. A new report from the University of Florida Breckner Freedom of Information Project seeks to understand freedom in college newsrooms through evaluating their financial and editorial structures. Researchers found that over half of the student newspapers get some direct or allocated funding from their associated university or college, and that more than a half of the outlets are advised by a university paid faculty or staff member. These can be problematic circumstances for student free expression, as it leaves student journalists vulnerable to efforts of influence on the work they produce. Read further about the key findings and others in the full Freedom in College Newsrooms report. As the war in Gaza stretches into its fifth month, protests have continued on campuses across the country. Many universities are still grappling with the best manner of addressing protests and how to support both student speech and safety. Some universities are trying out new policies, such as one at American University, which banned all indoor protests and required student organizations to be welcoming to all students and to promote inclusivity through their activities. Administrators at American argue that the new policy is needed in response to recent acts of anti-Semitism on campus in order to preserve student safety and belonging. In a statement, the university's American Association of University Professors chapter disagrees, saying that the new policy is in direct conflict with the university's longstanding commitment to free expression and urges the president to withdraw the policy. Throughout the month of February, UC campuses honored Black History Month through events and conversations encouraging community engagement. We wanna spotlight some of those efforts the UC San Diego Black Staff Association held their annual President's Day Forum, this year focusing on issues around the 2024 presidential election. UCSF celebrated the fifth year of the Black Women's Health and Livelihood Initiative, which aims to address the current realities of healthcare inequities for Black women. And at UC Santa Barbara, the Office of Black Student Development, a current voice initiative recipient, held a community event focused on the theme of, quote, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, close quote. These are just a few of the many initiatives that have taken place across the UC system during the past month and will continue throughout the year, highlighting a key tenet of our UC community that it belongs to all of us. So now back to today's guests. As I mentioned at the top, Jennifer Domigal-Goldman is the executive director of the All-In Campus Democracy Challenge at Civic Nation, where she leads a team of student vote experts that focus on the intersections of civic learning and nonpartisan political engagement in higher education to develop a more vibrant democracy. Prior to joining the challenge, Jen directed the American Democracy Project, a national civic learning and democratic engagement network of the American Association of State Colleges and Universities. 
Alex Edgar is a senior at UC Berkeley, Go Bears, studying political behavior and public policy. He serves as the External Affairs Vice President of the Associated Students of the University of California. In recognition of his civic work, Alec was a 2022 recipient of the John Lewis Youth Leadership Award by the National Association of Secretaries of State and the 2023 California Young Stewart Leader Award from California Forward. He's traveled the country speaking about the importance of increased advocacy and funding for intentional youth engagement, particularly in support of their voting and civil rights. He's also been published in Forbes, featured in CBS News Bay Area, and provides civic engagement consulting for nonprofits, foundations, and college campuses. I'm exceptionally proud to share that Alex has been the center's student intern for the past two years and is responsible for supporting programming and outreach efforts. Alex first became involved with the center as part of the 2022 Class of Voice Initiative recipients. As part of Voice, he led Vocella, a civic engagement music festival at UC Berkeley that garnered thousands of attendees, registered hundreds of students to vote, and helped elevate civic education materials. Both of you are true civic engagement superstars, and we're thrilled to have you on Speech Matters. In the midst of an academic year that's been so focused on speech, we're especially grateful to be able to highlight the important electoral work happening on college campuses nationally. Thanks for being here and welcome. Thank you so much for having us, and it's great. I also, not in the bio, did intern for All In before, so this is a combination of two places that I love. As I say, we can just have a love fest here and then fight over custody of Alex <laughs> because you're right. I mean, all of the things you just said about him are correct. He's fabulous. Um, and frankly, if he represents the student level of engagement in our democracy, we're set. You know, the older adults can all sit down and things will be fabulous. But, you know, I think that said, we um, collectively have a lot of work to do um, and uh and Alex shines as an example of how to do some of that work. Well, I'm sure we're going to agree on many things, but I'm glad we're going to start there. Um, so obviously, both of your work currently centers around youth and democracy. And I'm hoping each of you could share a little bit about the work that you do and also what drew you into the youth engagement space. And Alex, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, I definitely didn't have like the most traditional start in like youth advocacy. I wasn't really involved in politics at all until around the time that the pandemic started. Um, and I was a junior in high school. Um, and I had been doing a lot of community service up until then, but primarily through Boy Scouts and PTA and other things. But it was when, you know, I was kind of stuck at home and was watching the news constantly and was just feeling more and more disconnected from the world and from my community. Um, and then started to see how um, a lot of people in my local government were intentionally disregarding, particularly the voices of young people and people of color in my community. Um, and that kind of started me down um, a path of voter registration and voter advocacy um, that has led me to where I'm today, doing a lot of the same things, but on a bit larger of a scale, both now at UC Berkeley, but I've done a lot of work um, across the state and country trying to focus on how can we bring youth to the table in a way that is intentional, that is not just, you know, uh, having a, a flashy, flashy face on a panel or something like that, but really, you know, engages with young people and their ideas and their experiences uh, in order to make sure we're reaching uh, as many young people as we can, especially given the high stakes of this and every election season. I have to say, as well as you know people, it's always fun to learn more about them. And I did not know kind of that backstory and about how out of COVID, actually something really wonderful came in terms of your involvement with voting and voter registration. Okay, Jen, tell us a little bit about your journey to the pinnacle of civic engagement. I don't think it's the pinnacle, but the work that's drawn me here, and I was I was saying to some of you before we started recording, that when I was a college student, the fall of my freshman year was a presidential election. I knew who I wanted to vote for, but I was really busy as someone who would um, eventually major in English, trying to pass a calculus class, trying to get along with my college roommate, trying to figure out my place kind of on campus and in the world. And I wouldn't have cast my ballot if my parents hadn't, and particularly my mom, hadn't sent me the paperwork to apply for an absentee ballot and get it. And part of that was because 
while my college was an amazing experience and I was on a residential campus and in a state that for the time was fairly um, easy to vote, it wasn't really part of the conversation. And uh, we talked a lot about community service. We talked a lot about, in fact, during orientation, we had a citywide community service event. We did a lot of other things, but but voting and political engagement weren't really explicitly talked about. And I'm a little older than Alex, and it was a while ago, but some of the same laws that require college campuses to make a good faith effort to help register students to vote were in place then and weren't actually happening. And so, you know, as my career progressed and I've worked in higher education, as you know, you you talked about in my bio for a long time, I really thought about the importance of what higher education and colleges and universities have on their communities and on student learning. I studied for my doctorate um, how faculty learn to teach for civic purposes and with civic pedagogies in the classroom. I brought that work to ask you um, with the American Democracy Project. And I watched over time as in my kind of personal life, I was engaged in politics and voting and doing political campaigns on, you know, on the side and those kinds of things. I watched the work we were doing very much talk about community engagement and still leave out the political part, that we shied away from it too often, that we weren't talking about that piece, that we were creating kind of generations of students who were really talking about how they could make change in other places and ways. And that's important, but they also need to understand um, the political environment and our electoral process and frankly need to be invited in, particularly if they don't have a parent like mine who's going to do that for them. And so many of them are showing up on our campuses um, ready to be first-time voters and underprepared, either in terms of the civic education they've been given, or maybe they were already registered to vote, but now we're canvases. And that's where, you know, my career took a little bit of a, a shift slightly. And I came in 2018 to join the All in Campus Democracy Challenge. And at this point, we're a national nonpartisan initiative that supports and recognizes colleges and universities as they work to improve what we call nonpartisan democratic engagement. And we define that as having three parts, civic learning, political engagement, and voter participation. And so as we work to make nonpartisan democratic engagement programs a defining feature of campuses and culture, we are working with almost a thousand campuses at this point across all 50 states and the District of Columbia, including UC Berkeley and many of the other UCs, um, including my own alma mater, the University of Rochester. Um, and those institutions um, collectively represent almost 10 million students. And so that work that we're doing to uh, help create support and recognition for campuses to do this work, I think is helping to change some of the narrative and means that more students are being asked and invited into a process that then allows them to become habitual voters and really participants in our democracy in a way that we really need. One thing I just wanted to, to add in based off of what Jen said um, that I think is so important uh, is the discussion of having a parent or a trusted messenger introduce you to voting because so often our K through 12 education system does not. Um, and we you know, see in studies and surveys that most students and most young people don't actually get introduced to what is voting, what is this process like, what is politics, how can I get engaged? Um, sometimes until they are you know, government class at the end of senior year of high school, when at that point, you know, most of us are checked out anyway, or, you know, they're in college and they're on their own for the first time and having to make this really big decision of, do I vote? How do I vote? You know, what is this even like? So I'm sure we'll talk about it more later, but I think like really emphasizing having trusted messengers like yourselves there who can actually talk to other people, you know, in your communities, in older age groups to be like, we need to connect with young people. We need to, you know, hold that hand out to them so that way they can more readily and more willingly be able to get involved is so, so important. First of all, just a small point of correction. You are the youngest person potentially uh, uh, on this podcast, uh, but we are young, just younger. Young at heart, Michelle. We're young at heart. Yes. Uh, age is just a state of mind, right? Um, it, it's actually making me reflect. I, I did have a trusted, like a parent, you know, in family that was part of what we did. And I took my kids at a very young age to vote with me, to stand in the ballot box um, and help me put the envelope in. But it just making me realize, like, I took AP government. What? Why didn't we make that? A field trip to to do that like there are so many opportunities it doesn't have to you know just just to actually go and stand there and see people sign in and see what it looks like it seems so obvious to me 
now that that's not part of it. And the other thing I really wanted to respond to, and I think we'll get into this later, is that especially Jen, the way you described kind of the three-pronged approach that you're connecting, and this is something Alex and I have spent a lot of time talking about, voting with civic learning. That it's not just, because I do think I was raised like you voted and that was your civic engagement, like just doing that. That I don't think it was the idea of opening up civic engagement to be something that you could do every day. You just didn't have to wait for a primary or a presidential election. So we're certainly in, you know, a very unique time right now is in the run up, the very long run up to this presidential election. And I'm curious, each of you sort of have different vantage points. Um, and I'm wondering if you could sort of share what are you hearing from students right now during this academic year? Let's start there. Michelle, such a great question. And I think, you know, to connect what you were just saying and that, that end piece with the question you're asking now, right? I think you know, we really believe at All In and, and I really believe passionately myself that like civic engagement is something that happens every day, that we need to be engaged day in and day out, that we need to think about things and that, you know, elections are a piece of it and not just big elections like this national presidential election in 2024, but there are always what are often referred to as down ballot and more local elections and pieces like that. And that that is um, incredibly important. And frankly, that the student government elections happening on campuses are important, right? That the other kind of aspects of that, of the voice that our youngest members of our democracy um, have is really important. And, you know, and I think this is the, you know, the most diverse generation our democracy's had, and they bring a diversity of experiences and thoughts and ideas with them about all of this. And so I think we're hearing a number of different things, right? I think much of it echoes the broader conversation, right? I think we know that it's presumed at this point that two, maybe young at heart, but definitely older than any of us on the um, podcast white men are likely to be our present, you know, our presumptive nominees for the highest office in the land. Many people, including many young people and college students, find that unexciting. You know, I think we have grown to the point where we have started to expect it to be exciting or sexy or to want to have beer with the candidate or wine or coffee or whatever your beverage of choice is. And, you know, I think there's an aspect of like, that doesn't need to be the case, right? We need to help pick who's best, you know, from our choices, who's the best suited, who meets our, the policy needs we most stand by, who has the combination of knowledge and experience and aptitudes and whatever else you want to fill in um, to do that work. And I have not always been excited about the people I have chosen personally to cast ballots for. And I presume that that will continue to be the case at different points. We also then need to get young people to run for office and we're seeing them do that. Right. And we're seeing them, you know, they're not one issue voters, just like most other people aren't like, so they, you know, are caring about it. And it's frankly, despite the fact that it somehow is almost March of 2024 and the fact that this election seems to have been talked about for a long time already, we're not there yet. Like we're still in the primary season. Yes. I want students to vote in the primaries that is particularly confusing for a lot of young people who don't necessarily affiliate or if, you know, have an affinity to a particular political party and all of a sudden realize they maybe they can't vote in a primary in some states if they don't declare it by a certain time, you know, so I think there's a lot of a lot of work to be done, but I'm also seeing leaders like Alex and leaders of on-campus nonpartisan campus voting coalitions and groups on campuses do the work and show up and they're talking to their peers and they're demanding that their campuses have policies and procedures in place that are going to allow them to have access to what they need to make sure that they're registered and ready to vote. And so I'm cautiously optimistic and hopeful and also ready to do the work to help convince young people that their voice matters and that too many people want them to sit out the election. What Alex, I'm really curious though what you're hearing from your peers and I'm also really curious and since you raised it Jen, uh, if you could also touch on this issue of age and whether you think that it really is playing a role in terms of how younger people are responding to this particular presidential election. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually respond um, starting off with a story just from last week. Um, I was doing a voter registration um, and education training for a club on campus and had just wrapped up my presentation explaining we have a primary in California on March 5th. Um, it'll be very interesting. It's the first really competitive Senate seat uh, we've had in quite some time. Um, and also in Berkeley, you know, where I am based out of, we also have 
House of Representatives seat, a state Senate seat. We have so many really interesting elections going on. That's been awesome to talk to students about. Um, and I actually, at the end, was asked the question whether someone could register to vote or register uh, with a party preference um, before the primary and then change their party preference to no party preference after the primary just because they they wanted to have their voice be heard inside the you know, political party and the two-party system we're in, uh, but don't feel like either party represents them in reality. And I think that was a story that like showed kind of what I've been hearing in general on campus, where we have a bunch of young people, Gen Z students who really feel like neither party is connecting with them and really feel like in particular, you know, given the the two candidates don't really have a connection to the candidates that are running and are feeling like, is there a point in, in me voting when I don't feel like either one of these options represent me and my values? Uh, and I think that has been across the board, something I've heard. And even coming to like the primary election where you, know, you have a lot of candidates, even in like the Senate race in California, but students just aren't excited by most of them and, and feel like a lot of the narrative hasn't even really been reaching us as college students. So, so I think kind of the, the the general vibe has been, you know, a lot of lack of excitement, a lack of connection, and, and genuinely a lack of outreach from any political candidates to young people in any of the places that they exist. There's been minimal on our college campuses, but honestly, not even as much on social media. I mean, just, what was it? A couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden's uh, campaign finally joined TikTok, which has been, you know, the most influential, you know, social media site for months, if not years now. Uh, and I think there is a slow shift going on where both parties are realizing that they need to talk to young people and they need young people to vote for them if they want a chance to win, especially in battleground states. My my worry is just from talking to lots of students on the ground is it. It might be too little too late. And if, as I think Jen mentioned, right, people are becoming less of like, uh, I'm a this party voter. And it's more like, okay, what, what issues have I interacted with? What am I passionate about? And how is that actually reflected? So I think a lot of young people are tired of being judged for not wanting to, you know, vote with the, the party on either side, you know, that they might have traditionally been a voter for. Uh, and instead are, you know, really trying to use their voices and their votes and their advocacy to hopefully get someone to listen. And I, I think that is the theme of this year is how can we get politicians to listen to young people? Alex, I think that story is compelling. And I think, you know, I always learn more as we have conversations. I think what's interesting to me, too, is you know, Circle has some recent data out that says not only, you know, is it important for campaigns to reach young people and that that can be hard to reach some of the youngest voters who haven't yet voted because they're not kind of in the mix, right? They're not on the email list. They're not on the registration list that, you know, they can get access to and, and gain. So some of the ways they do that is by showing up on college campuses, things like that. Obviously, some of that happens usually often more once primaries are over, which, you know, so I think there's some time here, but but you're right. But one of the pieces the circle report found was that too many young people feel a report feeling too unqualified or uninformed to participate in our democracy, right? And I, I think the piece of it we have to remember are those often aren't the students I'm talking to, right? I'm often talking to the Alexes, right? And that's the joy of my life. But I'm talking to the students mostly who are on the campuses doing the work, right? And they're talking to their peers. But it also tells us that not only do they not feel like they're being reached by by the campaign, so they don't know somewhere, you know, particularly with some local elections, you know, whatever. And then I think, Alex, like you're still going to school in California, but you're not going to school where home is. And so getting that information about who the, can you know, whether you choose to vote as you are allowed to where you're at school in Berkeley or you choose to vote further in Southern California where home is, you know, you have that obvious option. But if you choose to vote at home, you don't get some of the same information even if they're trying to get it to you, right? Especially as we've seen kind of the degradation of a lot of the more local press. And so I, you know, I think there's this piece and like that's part of where higher ed needs to step up and do its role. And that role is not just students doing the organizing that 
Alex and others are doing, but campus is saying, okay, we have a role to play here. How do we help them understand where to find more information about their candidates? How do we invite candidates to campus so that our students are hearing from them? And I think that's where this like synergy that at some of the best places exists so that students can figure out how best to reach their peers and talk to their peers, but it happens within our broader kind of civic learning culture. And we're going to turn to the role of institutions in a minute, but I want to just go back to something, you know, just like pull a little bit on this thread of sort of the inevitability of it being a two-party race. And even in this case, the almost inevitability of who the candidates would be. You know, I'm thinking in my lifetime of like Perot or Nader, but this idea that like a third party hasn't appeared to be a quote-unquote realistic option. And so if students feel like it's all kind of inevitable, well, not just students, but adults, but what do you say to younger voters who are sort of like either what's the point, we can't change the two-party system, it seems like we're having the same candidates, we're not uplifting like younger voices, how do we help them? Well, and then I would even add in that in certain states in particular, I know I've felt like this as a voter in California, like almost like what's the point, right? We're a very blue state. I sort of know how things are going to go. And so does it really matter if I go? So sort of these different levels of sort of inevitability and like this idea of like, is what I cast my vote for, does it really matter? And how do you counter that question or feeling? I mean, we're, we're, we're both looking at you. Like, I know. Well, it's a, real, it's a really hard question. So I don't think there is a answer. I guess I'm just interested in like when you have these conversations, well, I'm assuming you have them, which I probably shouldn't do. What are some of the things that you say? So we're both frantically nodding at you that clearly we have the conversations. And since, you know, the, the listeners right now can't see us doing that, I'll just articulate that. And I, you know, I think it's a couple of things. I think from my vantage point, part of what we're looking at is the data and then hearing stories from campuses. And so I was expecting to kind of start to hear, you know, because I lived through some of the Perot and Nader and other pieces like you, Michelle, in our young at heart lives. And so I was expecting to hear some of that kind of happening and it could still, what I've been hearing more so is this like, I may sit the primaries out and then vote. I may hold my nose and vote. I may just vote down. But, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not hearing a lot around um, third-party candidates right now and young people. That doesn't mean it's not happening, right? And it's early and often that stuff comes a little bit later. What I am hearing, though, is that where the excitement is, is where they start to see themselves represented. And I think the data plays that out. Like representation happens in that we're starting to see the first Gen Z folks in office. We're seeing more and more of them run for office. And so I think we've seen Vice President Harris start to have some really great conversations with college students and young voters. And I think some robust conversations happening that way. I think we're seeing it in different places around the country happening. And I think I think the other thing they're paying attention to is the issues that they care about. They're just not, as we were saying earlier, one one issue kind of thing. And there's there's a lot of competing priorities and like how do you stack up those issues and where do people stand on it? You know, a lot can change between now and November. And so it'll be interesting to watch it play out. But for me, you know, as we have some of that conversation, I think, I think a piece of it is saying there are so many people who want you to stay home, right? They're changing voting laws to make it harder that your student college IDs, even at public institutions can't be used as voter IDs and can't, you know, and you can't use that. And then we're going to make you jump through these hoops and prove who you are, even though we clearly know. And you know what I mean? And so I think, you know, for me, being able to say, like, don't, don't give in to that, right? Don't let them silence you. And, you know, your voice matters. And, you know, it matters that you show up and, and have that say, and then continue to push for that change, like continue to push so that we can move to more of a place that has the third party system or, get more folks that you want to, to run for office, you know, think through some of those other ways that you want to show up, you know, that's maybe not a perfect answer and not a perfect answer, but like where I'm at right now. And Alex, you know, you're nodding with me. And also, you know, I'm sure you have some other bite of really important information to share with all of us. Yeah. I, I think a couple of things came to mind, both from what Michelle was saying, but also from what you were saying. And I think, you know, looking from my perspective, right? I was born in 2003 and, you know, growing up was, <laughs> and, you know, growing up, 
didn't really have much of an idea of politics, but like growing up during the recession and, you know, the first political experience I remember was coming into my middle school classroom the day after Trump's election and seeing myself and, and tons of my peers like visibly shaken by that, but also having an entire other half of the class celebrating and wearing, you know, MAGA hats and, you know, running around campus, super excited about it. And I think that has been the mindset that most Gen Z voters have grown up in. It is from, you know, the Trump era through COVID-19, through the Black Lives Matter movement, through all of these like incredibly powerful, massive, dysfunctional times. Um, and we haven't really seen the, in particular, federal government working in a way that we can really aspire to see change in, right? Like we've seen dysfunction in Congress and, you know, nothing's passing because the filibuster and the House does this. And, you know, and I think for so many young people, we are, you know, not just is it, oh, are we tired of a two-party system that, you know, often has candidates that don't represent us, but it's the democracy that we're participating in hasn't really shown to many of us that it can work. And I think that is part of the problem that many people from even millennials and older generations, like they at least can kind of look to a time that it might've been more functional, that, you know, the partisan split, you know, we were able to overcome it for something that was important, right? Like I was just in class the other day, we were talking about the Voting Rights um, Act and how it was actually under Republican administrations that the Voting Rights Act was reapproved and reauthorized again and again. And that is a perfect example of something that like, your older generations could look to as, you know, we may have disagreements, but we support all young people, all people voting. But for a lot of Gen Z, we just don't have that. We, we don't have a positive political experience to look to as, you know, this is why us voting matters. You know, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, the immediate response from, you know, both parties was, how can we fundraise? How can we mobilize based off of this? The conversation wasn't, how can we talk to the people, the American people, and be like, hey, like, this is a massive change. Are you okay? How are we going to move forward in a way that, like, centers the humanity of our population and, and isn't so focused on we need this political win just to maintain a shred of human dignity? And I think that is kind of where the, the issue has been, is that young voters don't often see that hope that, you know, is so often kind of talked about. We definitely see a lot of young people who who want to be engaged. And that's why I think, you know, Michelle, you were talking about third parties. Like we've seen a lot of young people engage with the Green Party or others, you know, that might not have been the norm before. And even getting involved in primary elections for candidates that, you know, they may not think will win. I mean, even looking at the Republican primary, like there's was a ton of candidates and a ton of people who were really passionate about those candidates. That is a good sign that we have people who want to engage in this decision-making process. And I think it falls back into politicians and like broader like government establishment to see like, we, we understand that we might not have been showing people that there is someone to put faith into. How can we look towards young people and say like, we actually have something that we want to offer? I think that's such a critical point. And it's actually making me think of an analogy to how people talk about having dialogue across difference or difficult conversations. And I feel like, well, first of all, you have to inculcate the skill, but also where are the where is the role modeling for how to do that? And I feel like I think there's a pretty big lack of role modeling and sort of what does that mean? Why are we surprised that people don't have those skills or know what to do in part because we're not teaching it and also we're not seeing it in society. I do want to turn to institutions, especially because most of the people who listen are part of an institution. And I know that one of the main things, Jen, that All In does is you collect these yearly action plans from, if I'm getting it correct, like almost a thousand institutions, and then you review them all, um, which sounds like a massive job. And I guess I'm interested in your sharing 
what you think has been most impactful and what is, you know, working best on the institutional side. Um, I'll start there and then Alex, we can flip it and you can say right from the, as a student, you know, what do you feel like they're doing well? And then of course, what can be done better? I should clarify and say that we asked campuses to submit an action plan for every two-year national election cycle. So we um, asked campuses to, to begin turning in what we call civic action plans in December. We have a record number of early campus action plans, which is great. So even more than we had in 2020, we're really excited. Campuses will start to get confidential feedback um, and scores on those action plans in early March, which is exciting. And the next deadline is May 31st. And we don't just do it by ourselves, I should say. We partner with a variety of um, national coalition partners through the SLSV, Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition, folks there and at the Voter Friendly Campus Initiative through Campus Vote Project and NASPA, other groups, and together have worked on a guide and a rubric. Um, We ask campuses to think about putting their strategy and their goals and really understanding the landscape of who their students are and where they're you know, from and how they're voting, what their local landscape politically looks like in terms of what ID do they need and you know, is there same day voter registration, where is the poll, all of these kinds of things. And and so, you know, the great news is they look they're looking really strong. And you know, one of the things when we first started all in that we would come across is we would come and we would say, okay, well, to sign up to join, which is free, you have to have a faculty or staff member sign them up. And they'd be like, well, but this is student work. Like our student government does this, this does this. And we were like, yeah, that's great. And that's necessary, but it is insufficient because you have an actual federal requirement that you do this work. And thank you, Alex, for doing your little silent snaps in the background that of course no one can see. So I'm going to say that. And so the best campuses we see have that synergy between the campus administration, which is often this loosey-goosey term we use for like the fabulous faculty and staff and other folks that are showing up to do the work day in and day out that are showing up with the students. And, and so the ones that have created kind of a diverse coalition, so by diverse, I mean that have faculty and administrators and local nonprofit groups and students and ideally a relationship with local election officials, and that those students come from different areas of study, different colleges if you're a university like Berkeley, different political points of view, but understand that the work has to be nonpartisan, you know, that they come from different ages and races and gender and all of these things. Like that's that's what this robust coalition looks like. And the the best plans are ensuring that every eligible student is being asked if they are registered or need to update their registration, being given some information about how to do so, and then being helped to be kind of what we call registered and ready to vote, right? And so that means that they have to be invited in. And it can't just be students having a table on the quad or in the dining hall where students who are choosing to self-select to come up or maybe are being chased down by someone like Alex or me to do this, because then you're only getting that swath of students who shows up there. And frankly, not every student is someone who is going to a residential college in 18 to 22, right? And so the people who are always meeting students are faculty. And so how do we help make sure that students are getting this information, the basic information when they register for classes or when they're in their course management software system or when they get their student ID, are they being reminded, right? How do we talk about it at orientation? How do we give faculty a couple of slides or the opportunity to have a student come in and talk for a few minutes and say, this is what's coming up. Here's what you should know, right? It's getting that in front of every student, not just the students who are choosing to vote because they're political science majors or are choosing to vote because their mom might yell at them if they didn't. I'm raising my hand, um, you know, whatever that might be. And so the campuses who are doing that are the ones that we're seeing really promise for, right? That they're creating this infrastructure and these systems that then the students like Alex can show up in and help do more of the motivational piece, help talk about specifics, help really foster conversations, help, frankly, with a piece of the element that can be kind of a fear factor of like, even how does this work? What's going to happen when I go in there? What's my ballot going to look like? How do I figure out what I'm going to need to know? Like what, you know, all these kind of pieces. Once you do it once, it's a whole lot easier. You're in the system, you get reminders from, you know, the county or the city or the state. And so that's the work that we're seeing from these action plans. And I think if we can get that synergy between 
what the canvases are doing and they're, they're showing up in bigger ways than they have before, which I think is really important. Then I think it lets the students have that space to do the work that they are the best at. And I, I really genuinely thank you for how I know all in has been pushing on universities to not let it just be student work. Cause I think that is the, the, the fundamental downfall of student voting and why I personally think we see youth voter turnout at lower rates than it really should be is because so often, whether it is young people who are at colleges or universities or even young people who are not are in the workforce or you know doing other things after high school is that we feel like it's on students to engage other students. And, and oftentimes, yes, yeah, students are often the best messengers to other students, but there's the kind of belief that they don't need the support to do so that I think causes so many issues. Because even like in my experiences at Berkeley, I think so many of the things that we have been able to accomplish have only been because students like myself and others for decades have been pushing the administration constantly. Can you send out this email to all the students telling them to register to vote? That's something we just did, you know, a little over a month ago. These are student-led initiatives that need administrative buy-in in order to reach the wide audience. But if it falls on students to lead the charge, the big downfall of university-based organizing is that students graduate. And when students graduate, there's almost always a lack of knowledge that is is just not handed over because it's hard to pass knowledge between students as stuff goes on students are graduating whatever it may be and even if that energy may still be there if the student who is leading the vote coalition on their campus graduates and never thinks to hand over you know this is the contact we have at the university's registrar office or at the county registrar of voters if we don't have that passed down then it's like you're back to square one and I think that's where universities need to be doing more, especially on the administrative side, but also on the faculty side, is how can we not rule, not control how we do outreach to student voters, but provide that backbone, that structure of we are here and we will continue to be here long after you're gone. And how can that you know, institutional knowledge be used not as kind of a shield to block students from having access to resources or to voting, but instead really use it as that welcome mat that, you know, come, come in and we can support the work you're doing. And I think that's where they really have the ability to make such a massive difference. I mean, it sounds like sort of the watchword is partnerships. Um, and then like of what you said, Alex, institutional knowledge. So a continuum um, that was very clarifying. I think a, a jumping off point, because unfortunately soon we're going to have to wrap up, even though we could do hours of conversation, is this this idea that with each episode, I want to leave people with some tangible ideas of how they can make impact in the sphere of engagement. And obviously there's lots of different things I imagine people can do. And so I think I'm just going to ask each of you to name one or two or five that people can sort of, when they're done listening to this or driving carpool or walking their dog, whatever it is that they can actually go in and do it. So Alex, do you want to start? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> big question. Yeah. I'd say the, the first thing that regardless of who you are or what you do, I'd recommend is to reach out to a young person that, you know, it can be, I don't know, your kid, your cousin, some student that come to your class or your program, whatever it may be, and reach out and, and ask, first of all, how they're doing. Always good to, to leave with that. But, but also to check in and see how they're feeling about what's going on in, in our democracy, in you know, politics, and if they have any questions that you, you could help them with. Because I think building that relationship with trusted messengers is so critical to getting students to vote. You know, it, it's it's less even just saying register to vote, register to vote, because you know, we're we're constantly having that shoved in our face, and and still see how voter registration and voter turnout among young people isn't fundamentally changing. And I think by instead focusing it on how can we provide the education and the support 
to young people, that is really where the conversation needs to start. So that would be my step one. My second thing would be to really support student-led efforts and initiatives, either on college campuses or in communities, um, whether that is financially, I promise you, a majority of students who are doing this work are doing it for free and oftentimes very, <laughs> very little resources to, to even put on events or outreach. But genuinely, like whether it's financially or through volunteer hours or just sharing knowledge, providing that assistance to students and other young people who are organizing is so critical. So I think that's really important. And then the third thing is be involved in your community regardless of whether it's an election season or not, I think showing young people, even if they don't know who you are, showing young people that like you're willing to engage in the stuff that they're doing is a surefire way of ensuring that they will engage in our democracy. Because as we discussed before, like there is a decrease post-COVID of you know, the feelings of connection to community, of connection to politics, given how divisive everything has been. So I think role modeling and showing how effective community engagement and partnerships can look like is, you know, may not be the most apparent and direct way of achieving that goal, but really is a fundamental way of shifting how young people look at politics. Wow. I have conversation, support, be involved, role modeling. Do you want to add anything to the list, Jen? I mean, I want to double down on what Alex just said, but I do have a couple of specific things that particularly your listeners, Michelle, that are coming from positions on college campuses or working with college campuses as faculty and administrators could particularly do as well as the students who are listening. And, you know, before I give them specifically, I should just say that the campuses that are participating in the All in Campus Democracy Challenge and, you know, are submitting action plans and doing the work that we really talk about we saw in the last presidential election that their students turned out more than two percentage points higher than other peer institutions. And one of the things we launched, ironically, or maybe that's not the right word, but during COVID, which wasn't the plan, it just happenstance became when, we launched um, a President's Council and what we call our President's Commitment to Full Student Voter Participation. And initially, you know, I thought about it in a lot of ways as something that was symbolic, right? That we wanted college presidents to be able to say, this matters, our campus is about this, we're going to do everything possible to make sure that every eligible student is asked um, to register um, and vote. And that is certainly has that symbolic power. It has also opened a lot of doors and says and signals to the rest of campus that this work matters. And so we actually in 2020 also saw over a five percentage point increase in college student voting at campuses whose president or chancellor made this public commitment. And so, you know, some of my action items flow out of that. So the first one is if you are a young person or if you are a young at heart person, please make sure you go to allintovote.org and either check or update your voter registration. Um, make sure you're ready for primaries coming up. Make sure you're ready for the general election. Make sure you realize if you moved, you have to update it, right? And it could be just that you just moved across campus or um, that you moved from campus to off campus or you moved clear across the state like Alex or you moved out of state. Any of those things, like you need to make sure you're doing that and, and double checking it and and that you're ready. Um, and while you're there, go to the tab at the top that says pledge to vote, make your pledge to vote. I promise you will get an email that just reminds you before a deadline. Um, and you're also going to be asked to, to make a pledge to remind three of your friends or family. And that piece is really important because, you know, the data says that young people, you know, they absolutely aren't on TikTok, but they're also um, they report that most of their trusted messengers are their schools and their family. And so, you know, I think it's really important for us to make sure that we're getting that trusted message and that we're reminding folks um, and inviting them in. Um, if you want to get more deeply involved, check on our allinchallenge.org website. If your campus participates on All In, check to see if your president or chancellor has signed our commitment. Um, if you need more information about how to do that, you can send an email to allinchallenge at civicnation.org. Um, and then, you know, we also do work specifically um, to recognize students like Alex. He's one of our 2023 Student Voting Honor Roll member nominees. And right now we have 
our nominations open. So any of our participating campuses can nominate a student by March 26th for our 2024 classification. And finally, we do a lot of work with college athletics. And so if you are in an athletic department or work with your athletic department, we have a coaches pledge and we really encourage coaches to talk to their student athletes because a lot of student athletes are disproportionately not from the community where they're in school and often are busy and traveling and doing lots of other things and you know have basically full-time jobs in addition to doing schoolwork and we want to make sure that they get that information um, and can themselves be ambassadors for this work. So I really hope that your listeners take time to find hope like I do in the work that Alex and students like Alex are doing to find hope in this kind of next generation and to really invite them in so that we can we can realize the democracy that we want, even if it's not quite the one we have yet. Well, I'm feeling both inspired and motivated that after we wrap, I am going to be studying a little more closely my March 5th ballot and maybe reaching out to three or more friends or family to make sure they're doing the same. And I just want to reiterate my gratitude to both of you for coming on and sharing, you know, with heart and insight and expertise. Um, You have busy work of helping to save our democracy. And so the fact that you took an hour out to share your thoughts with our listeners um, means a lot. And I just want to um, extend uh, my gratitude. Well, we extend our gratitude right back at you, Michelle. And I'm just so grateful that Alex is one of the students doing this work day in and day out. Right. We'll be able to say like, oh, we knew him when. I'm so grateful to both of you for helping me find my place in this work. I really wouldn't be where I am today without either of you. So very, very grateful to be here. Well, that's a perfect way to end. If you've made it to this point in the episode and aren't already registered to vote, press pause and do so now. No matter where you live, go to vote.org to check your voter registration status register to vote, and learn more about the election timeline in your state. Primaries and caucuses will commence from now until June, all leading up to the general election. Your voice deserves to be heard, so vote. If you haven't already looked through the panelists and topics for the center's upcoming Speech Matters Conference, Politics, Polarization, and Perils on Campus, I encourage you to register and learn more. It's taking place on April 18th. Finally, applications for our 2024-2025 Class of Fellows are open until March 15th. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.